Welcome back to another episode of the High Impact Health Podcast with your host, Dr. Diamond Jones. Today's episode is brought to you by the Prehab Plus program, a monthly program that is used to supplement your existing program that helps improve your back squats, your deadlifts, and your running time. This program includes a month-long generalized mobility and flexibility program used for all levels of athletes nutritional tips, and a free Facebook group that allows you to be a part of a community to ask questions and to chat with me, Dr. D, about any question that you may have. So head on over to highimpactpt.com and click on the Prehab Plus program. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the High Impact Health Podcast with your host, Dr. Dimer Jones, and I have a wonderful, wonderful uh, guest on today, Dr. Zach Gabor. Uh, you might know him as a simple strength physio on IG. Uh, he's a, a therapist, a physical therapist who's at Boston PT and Wellness. He's a founder of the uh, Le- the Level Up Initial, educator, speaker, inspirer. He loves to have fun, right? So thank you, Dr. Uh, Gabor, for coming on the show. Or should I just call you Dr. Zach or Zach or whatever you want to be called, man? <laughs> you just called me Zach, and you you nailed the intro, dude. That uh, that that pretty much sum that pretty much sums me up. That yeah, yeah. perfect for sure, man. So yeah, I mean, we were talking a little bit before we hopped on for about ten minutes, it seems like, and we were trying to figure out uh, some some cool topics to get into because you've just been on some recent podcasts. And I'm like, you know what? I'll let them listen to those podcasts that like you've been on. I'll post them in the show notes to talk about some of the stuff you've been up to lately. I really wanted to get into like your kind of the, the, the strength side of it. You know, I'm a CrossFit coach. I, I love alley lifting. I love lifting. I love introducing that to patients, you know, rather they're, the, rather they're from that spectrum or want to get into it. I never even touched a barbell. So I wanted to get into kind of the, the concepts of the things that uh, about PT programs. And I know we got listeners from all different backgrounds, but I want to talk about the class that you just put on. Uh, back in the summer to kind of blend the, the I guess, the gap, when it, which, which it really shouldn't be a gap, right? You know, exercise is exercise, but the gap between strength training and physical therapy and physical therapy schools and talk about that course and some feedback you got from it and then some things you're going to do moving forward. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it was, it was pretty much the dream uh, getting to teach this summer at a DPT school on strength and conditioning because, I mean, you see it, it it's starting to happen a little bit more. Like uh, Eric Lagoy, who's a clinical athlete provider, teaches an unreal iteration of it at Quinnipiac University in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, and so he helped shed some light on it. But yeah, I mean, all around it was a great experience because like you said, you know, it's something that is probably the most reoccurring theme that we hear year to year that students want more of that in their coursework. Yeah. It's, it's lacking. You know what I mean? Um, and it's something that we've been fighting for, for literally decades and it still seems to just not be catching up, but we are starting to make some ripples. We are starting to make some waves. Um, you know, basically we had, we kind of had free reign, um, in terms of, cause it was an elective created by the students. So they asked me and it was, we pretty much had free reign about how to go about it. And, um, you know, the biggest pieces of, of advice that um, Eric gave me was really, you know, this was a six week course, man. So we didn't have a ton of time to get into the nitty gritty of like periodization and, you know, programming implications and just in depth to that level, you know, and especially right. all of the like 
especially all of the hard science behind some of that. Um, so at the end of the day, I was like, all right, what are like the two, maybe three things that I really, really, really want these students to walk away with at the end of this course? And so for me, it came down to, I want them to, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, I want them to feel comfortable with coaching up hip hinge and squat progressions, regressions, and like communicating about it effectively. And, you know, how to use that in case studies. So clinically, how can they use that in case studies around low back pain and knee pain and tendinopathy? And then the other main thing I really wanted to drive home was I really wanted to drive home the importance of language and communication and, and how we coach. So we, um, we basically covered the hinge and the squat in depth and um, making sure they were confident with that. And then we went through and we did, um, you know, one of the lectures was on basically a, you know, a reconciled loading lens through like physical loads, but also talking about the influence of pain science and psychosocial loads in terms of how the words we use and the narratives we provide can be really, really damaging from a psychological standpoint. Right. We kind of put that all together into one badass, awesome lens of integrating strength and conditioning into an outpatient setting for common cases. And uh, that's what we ended up wrapping up with was um, their, their final practical was on either a uh, mechanical low back pain or patellar tendinopathy. And, and they had to work through those using the strength and conditioning principles and being cognizant of the language they used. Beautiful. How many people took the class? Um, 13 plus yeah. a couple of TAs. Nice. Okay. Yeah, cool. I mean, sounds like a pretty good group of people, man. Uh, and uh, you said it was for six weeks? Yeah, it was for six weeks. And I think one of my favorite parts of it was that, you know, I think one of the things that we see the most um, for sure is with new grads that are coming out into um, clinicals for the first time, man, they are so, people are so nervous on the spot, especially with coaching. So like, I don't know if you were anything like me when I started coaching, but man, I would be doing the most. I would be like, I would be teaching them a hip hinge and I would be like telling them the history of deadlifting and hip hinging and why it's good and what not to do. And like, man, I, if I can go back in time, I would bash myself over the head, but you learn from that, you know? Yeah, right. So um, it was fun to watch them because we had two labs at in an actual gym where they had to be put on the spot coaching each other up. And it was just, man, I got, it was so fun to watch some of them struggle so hard because it was a safe space and it was great to have them experience that so they could be like, oh shit, like I really got to. I really got to work on feeling more comfortable being put yeah. on the spot, coaching these things up and, and probably doing a lot less than I am. Um, Cause I think as, as new grads and students, we feel the need to like really portray our expertise by like over coaching the crap out of everything. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have, I have, um, especially early on whenever I got the gig that I'm in now where I coach in um, also see patients and like, I wanted to kind of betray that knowledge of, you know, I'm the all knowing and all understanding when it comes to this particular model. And then really what the, the, the simpler I got, the more people started to understand what I was saying, but still also I could add in those tidbits of information that they really like. And somebody said today, they said, Hey, you know, I really like when we do this particular activity. The first time, the first time we did, it, I over-explained it. I talked about why. It was a bunch of, it was a <laughs> mess, man. It was a mess. They looked at me complex, perplexed. And then, you know, the, the second time we did, it, I said, okay, I learned from that that uh, mistake. 
here's the reason why we're doing it. This is why it's important. Now let's do it. Move on. So, you know, again, you know, when it comes to those new grads and, and, I, and like I was telling myself, don't over explain, don't over explain. Like, you know, because I would hear those stories and uh, I still did it anyway. So, yeah, constantly learning, man. And, and, and again, that's why I have this podcast. And again, that's why I have you on. So I definitely appreciate that. Oh, yeah, man. That, yeah, that was uh, that was probably one of the coolest parts about it was just seeing that that avenue of growth and just having them feel more comfortable because at the beginning we took a survey, you know, show of hands, like how many of you would feel comfortable right now being put on the spot, coaching someone up on deadlifts or squat and no one's comfortable doing it. And I think that, you know, it's, it's not that strength and conditioning absolutely has its place in rehab. I think we know that more than ever. I think that we see a lot of pushback because people are like, well, not every, client or patient wants to do strength and conditioning or squat or deadlift. And I totally hear that. And that's totally fair. That being said, the principles and the concepts of it still transcend really any population. And uh, we're going to benefit from, you know, breeding resiliency and robustness through loading, as opposed to just having them on the table and doing passive things and, and low level exercises that aren't truly doing anything to, to challenge them. Yeah, and then kind of, you know, my while I was learning this concept, not only was it really cool, because I was like, oh, this is something that I do and that I understand. It also made me think back of all the times I kind of seen that kind of model in physical therapy and kind of, um, you know, to nerd out a little bit, kind of that post hoc reasoning of like, well, my patients are still getting better. All that we're doing, I guess, the, you know, the non, you know, strength and conditioning stuff. It's like, well, you know, were they going to get better regardless the fact that they're doing something right or was it the fact that like you know like you're actually kind of like you are doing progressive loading it's just not you know with a barbell you know it, like you know like those principles like you said are still there it's just whenever you and i kind of preach that out to, to people they they're like there is some pushback say no my patient don't need that it's like you're doing that without even knowing it so it's actually pretty pretty cool to kind of see that pushback but at the same time know like you're probably doing it and don't even know it, which is actually a pretty funny thing. So, Well, yeah. And I think the thing too, though, is, is like, you know, when we talk about, you know, for me, and I'm sure you could agree, like we start the course off with the why, like why is strength and conditioning important? Why do we need this reform in our curriculum to include it? And, you know, for me, I immediately look to the fact that we're still in the midst of a healthcare epidemic and it's like, Hey, you know what? We are where we are. It's all good. Like everything that, you know, the PT profession has done and grown over the past couple of decades is incredible. And we got to be really grateful for all that stuff. At the same time, have the humility to look at it and be like, hey, what can we be doing better? And uh, I think that with strength and conditioning comes the ability to really shift the locus of control towards clients rather than them depending on us. And um, not that we can say that strength and conditioning is like the end all be all in terms of like pain, you know, preventing pain from ever happening. Um, but it's just, you know, if we're creating more robust humans, you know, I would feel safe saying there's got to be some sort of weak correlate to that's probably going to yield less long-term chronic pain and disability. If we're fostering more of that robust, resilient human through progressive loading strategies. And yeah, and then just a conversation that goes along with it as well. Like the, the fact that you talk about the hemp hinge and, and, and extrapolate it to, hey, you got to bend over and pick up, you know, the the laundry and, 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 and all these different things that I guess 
bed exercises, which I do early on if someone's coming from post-op or whatever, you know, those kind of things to help get the quad firing and all this stuff, obviously it's firing, but those kind of things that we see um, in traditional physical therapy or for those that do that pushback, but also being able to say, okay, now that we're from there, you know, our, now that we're not there anymore and that we're progressing, now we can move on to different ways. So I, I think that that's pretty cool to, 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 to see that and then to have that conversation and just have it click with a patient, especially if they've never done strength training too. Like, it's just like, oh, like the euphoria that they get from, oh, like a deadlift is me picking up the, the, the laundry basket. So it's actually pretty cool to see. Yeah, man. And I absolutely. And I think one of my biggest, uh, I think a really good talking point off of what you just said, which I think is, you know, our responsibility and something that I really harped on in the course was, you know, when we're in there, like when I, let's say I have a client coming in with, you know, sort of like quote unquote, nonspecific mechanical low back pain, you know, I'm teaching them movement options through hip hinging and strength and conditioning. It's still important the way that I create the context around it, where it's not like, you know, because early on when I was first learning about it, I'd be like, all right, we got to hip hinge and protect the spine basically. So we're not adding any loaded flexion in there where now I'm like, you know what? This is another option. It's okay to pick up your laundry basket with a flex spine. As a matter of fact, you should be able to, but there's another option that that's good to know. And we'll practice loading this up. We'll practice loading the other things up. And you know, it's, it's important to not necessarily like force the narrative of like strength and conditioning on them as opposed to like, here's some more options for you. And if they end up coming to that solution on their own, that they are into it, then we run with it and like, you know, give us an inch and we'll, and we'll take a mile. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, like I literally had a patient I was showing and I would say something like that. Like, Hey, you know, you just pick it up the way you want to pick it up. You put it down the way you want to put it down. And like, they, like they did it a few times. Like, great. So all of a sudden they saw me kind of get into my deadlift setup and they're like, well, I want to learn the way you, like you're doing it. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then like I reinforce the fact that you don't necessarily have to and all this other stuff. But yeah. I mean, like you said, like the patient wanted to go there. So they went there and also it depends on patient population too. Like, you know, like yeah. I said, a lot of CrossFitters and stuff like that. So obviously I'm teaching them that, that quote unquote form, the optimal form. Oh yeah. Totally. So that they're able to do it during a wide or whatever at these, these high ranges and, you know, just based on mechanics. Oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. But obviously, I introduce some nuance. Some people are taller. Some people are shorter. Some people are you like their feet narrow. Some people like their feet wide. So, you know, obviously, trying to build in that nuance um, as, as well, which which is pretty cool, man. It's, well, yeah, and and you just hit on a really great point, which is, you know, the biomechanics and the optimal movement patterns absolutely matter and have a place. You know what I mean? So, especially when you're working with performance athletes and strength and conditioning athletes, like, absolutely, man, we want to be on point with our form and all that. Um, while still you can still sprinkle in some of your nuance there, but you know, especially when you're kind of working with more of the outpatient ortho general mix, it's just, you know, exactly like you said, context specific to the population you're working with, but never making it uh, too dogmatic that to create finite options of how to move. Yeah. And, 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 and to be honest with you, that's just boring too. Like move like this. You're supposed to set your feet like this. Like, it's, it's super bored and redundant. So, like, you know, I'll say little catchy things or, like, I'll do, like, little quirky little stuff just to kind of keep everybody engaged. Rather, it was when I was a student and doing a traditional outpatient setting or even now. And I think that 
I'm sure that you feel the same way just based on the stuff I see online where it's like, oh man, like that was funny the way he kind of presented that or hey, you know, I understood that in, in quote unquote layman's terms rather than oh, being dogmatic, like you said, when it comes to stuff like, you know, we're, we're talking to people that are, you know, you know, mechanics or, you know, teachers and, and stuff like that, or even if they're other healthcare professionals, they may not do what we do all the time. So to, to, to try to like, you know, preach at them, you know, this model is like, oh, just be quiet. Like, just let them, you know, come to that conclusion on their own. And when, like, and that's, I mean, that's beautiful within itself. Like, oh man, I, I tell people all the time, don't believe a word I say, try it out. I'm a scientist, like, try it out. So, and then once they kind of understand it and then, you know, they kind of uh, realize, oh yeah, you know, that does make sense. Oh, right. And like, if I do kind of turn this way or twist this way, um, you know, I feel better when I'm teaching patients or when I'm speaking to athletes. Oh yeah, that does allow me to lift heavier. So all that kind of plays its role. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Cool. So I think we could talk about that topic forever, man. Uh, let's move on to, uh, to, 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 to something else, man. You're up there in Boston, obviously, right? Are you, you a Red Sox fan? Bro. I was at, I actually am. I'm from New York, but I've been a Red Sox fan since I was a kid because Nomar was my favorite player growing up. Nomar. Uh-huh. I was just at game one of the uh, the divisional series, and it was so hype, man. It oh, was like, dude, I'm it was so, so jealous fun. of you. And uh, I'm so pumped that this, I mean, hey, they don't have 108 wins for nothing. So I'm, I'm excited for the Houston series. Yeah, no, man. I'm so jealous of you. I am a bandwagon fan extraordinaire. Yeah. So we'll, we'll think about it. any team that is a bandwagon, the Yankees, the Lakers, uh, the Cowboys, the, the, my Gators. Well, Gators less of an extent because I'm kind of from the southeast. But, uh, you know, my dad liked the Cowboys. Uh, he, he's from Philly, born and raised in Philly, but don't like any Philly team. So whatever team he liked, I basically just bandwagon on with them. And <laughs> I'm kind of – I was kind of sad that you all beat my Yankees, but – uh, you know, once, I mean, I think he kind of like baseball is old school and it got little weird, little, little, uh, stuff that goes on in baseball. So I think when, uh, when, when, when our boy judge walked by and, and was doing the song, I think that that basically wrapped it up for him. Um, yeah, so. Red, Sox, Red Sox were like, say word. Say yeah. word. We'll, <laughs> we'll see you in Yankee stadium, bro. Yeah. They literally was like, hold my beer. Right, right, right. Yeah, so hold my beer, like, let us whoop your butt. But, hey, cool. Let, uh, let's go ahead and get back to the strength and conditioning and, and the fitness aspect of it. So, like, right before we hopped on, too, we talked about, like, I was basically talking about my treatment style. And, you know, I mentioned, hey, you know, manual therapy, like, I do that because I see some kind of some, uh, some, some good benefits from it and the way I dress it up. And you basically were like, whoa, 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 no reason to explain but, like, you also went to, into, like, the reason why I felt like I needed to, which was very important to me as, a, like, a young clinician, not only to, to not have to, like, I have to validate why I do what I do, but also understand that there's a purpose in kind of everything. And, and as long as we're dressing it up, uh, then, you know, it's, it's really important. Do you, you mind going in that, uh, into that for the young clinicians or young coaches out there that really are just like, well, I got to, you know, I got to, you know, make everything evidence-based and like I have to, you know, make sure that I post the latest and greatest new research um, or like, you know, I have to not do this particular intervention because, you know, this subgroup of population is saying it's not good or, or is useless, right? You mind yeah. diving into that just for my personal kind yeah, of... Yeah, uh, no, no yeah. doubt. No, 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 I mean, 
look, the biggest thing is that the pendulum will continue to swing back and forth, man. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm so, so guilty of being, you know, on both ends. Cause when I, when I was still in school and I was a brand new grad, I was like, man, I was like lined up to do my residencies, manual therapy, this manual therapy, that. And then it kind of happened where I was confronted with all the updated information that challenged a lot of my biases. Yeah. Yeah. And then I made a staunch shift where I was like, no, no, no. Manual therapy creates dependency and da, 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 da. And, you know, look at the end of the day, like my personal treatment style relies way more on um, communication, building relationships and, and, and not, using manual therapy basically as like minimal effective dose only if patients are coming in like really demanding it or expecting it or, or if I feel like it could help in, in a treatment session. But that being said, I know that I'm guilty of probably in the past making people feel like if you use manual therapy, that's a sin. And it certainly isn't. Um, I I'm, I'm happy to say I'm finally at a place now where, you know, I think in order to get our profession to move forward, we need to reconcile certain things and we need to understand that manual therapy in and of, in and of itself is not a bad thing. It really depends on how it's being used, the context it's being used. And as long as it's under the realm of like, you're still empowering them and, and not making it so that they're depending on that, mm-hmm. then, I, then I can get down with that. You know, I think it's, I have more of an issue when it's like, there's these big mill companies where like, you know, my first job, I had to do manual therapy arbitrarily on every single patient. Yeah. Just to be able to unit. And like, that's some straight up bullshit. Like I, I can't get down with that because that's creating dependency and that's, and that's just, there's no clinical reasoning there. So, so for me, like I, I, I'm not about that, but it's like, Hey, if people want to use that, that's totally cool. You know, it's, um, and then I think my other big point is, I think one of the other reasons, and I think this is just something we need to kind of come to terms with from a culture shift and a, an identity sort of crisis is I think in school, I felt really pressured that in order to become a great therapist, that meant I had to be a great technical, physical, like manual therapist. Absolutely. That's, that's sort of the culture of what physical therapy is. And so yeah. I, think, I think that's part of what made me more of like almost like a manual therapy vigilante for a hot second was Uh almost because of like spite. Um, But now it's like, Hey, manual therapy has its place. My biggest thing is just that that shouldn't be the qualifying terms of what makes an excellent physical therapist. Uh You know, what, what should be the pinnacle of what makes an excellent physical therapist is clinical reasoning skills and our ability to communicate and educate effectively to me you know, that is the number one thing that makes a great physical therapist. And if you happen to be a skilled manual therapist, hell yeah, good, good on you. That's, that's totally kosher, but that shouldn't be the culture of what defines a great physical therapist. And so I think that's what I'm trying to work towards helping shift that in new grads. Yeah, man, I could not, man, first of all, thank you for saying that. Cause I literally felt that same weight, but while I was in school, it was, it was something that like I was so down on myself because like I couldn't get up a nip or like, you know, I couldn't you know, feel where that was coming from. And like my school really dressed it up in a good way, in my opinion, that it wasn't about feeling, it wasn't about that. It was about, hey, like what are your intentions are? But I was still so caught up in that, you know, like my friend would say, oh, you know, like I felt that or, you know, it, it, it feels a little something like that. So I was kind of feel, trying to feel, I was trying to feel it, feel it, but I was like, I can't do it. So I'm therefore I'm not going to be a good therapist. And it really drove me 
down for a while that I was like, man, like, I'm never going to get this. Like, I would never understand this. But then I don't know what happened. Like, it just, it just blew my head and said, what's more important, you know, me, you know, thinking that I can feel for whatever I'm trying to feel for, or me just getting in there, telling the patients, hey, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm creating a neurophysiological effect. I am, you know, creating this bond between you and I both. That's not going to be dependent after a few visits that, you know, we're going to shift from doing that. You're going to do more active stuff. So, I mean, it, it took me a while, man. And just to hear, and I, just to hear you say, Hey, like, you're not the only one. Like I was a part of it too, was, is, is actually pretty cool, man. And like, I, I, I hope that our listeners, regardless if you're a PT or a young clinician or uh, just somebody that's out there that's just listening to this, hope that you, you kind of, you, you kind of feel the same way. Sure. Well, yeah, man. And I, and I think last thing I'll say on it is I think the most important thing is we just need to be comfortable having the conversations because if you don't have the conversations, then you start to paint these pictures of these sort of silos and these villains where it's like, Oh, that, you know, that person only really likes pain science. They only just talk to their patients. They hate manual therapy. Yeah. Like insert whatever modality, right? Yeah. But, but it's like, if you actually were to talk to that person, I imagine it would be a different conversation. So I think, I think we all need to do a better job as a profession of being comfortable having conversations in a productive manner where it's not, we're not picking fights. We're not pointing fingers, but rather trying to just understand where each other are coming from and uh, work together so that we can have an amplified message so we can be more effective, you know, helping the communities that we serve. Yeah. Cause ultimately what, what happens is that, you know, there's what 200,000 of us, but you know, like, you know, like, we all have different kind of ideas. And the cool thing about our profession is that we are so eclectic too. So it's like, you know, we're arguing about the one thing that makes us stand out among multiple different professions. Like if we just did, you know, manipulations, we would be looked at as one profession. Like we only did soft tissue massage or mobilizations. Right. So it's like, you know, or like we only did exercise, you know, insert that as well. So it's like, you know, the, the reason why we are physical therapists is not only because you know, we, we inherently like physical touch or, you know, we like to have that title, but because inherently within this profession, in my opinion, and like what attracted me to it is that when people ask me what I do, I can kind of say, um, you know, you have a moment to sit down and talk about it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like you know, sit down and like, I'll tell you what I do. You know, I'm so eclectic and kind of my approach. And I think like, if we are able to just say, we don't, we're not just one thing. I think our profession will really just, I mean, and like, again, I'm still super young in this, but I mean, that's kind of my thought. I was like, like, I have no problem with doing all the things that are kind of out there. Right. As long as I have scientific plausibility for it, it's like, man, how cool is that? Like, Oh my gosh, how cool is that? But I mean, you, you just, you know, young, but wise man. Cause you just said something I really liked, which is just that, you know, rehab in general is so gray you know we we want as human beings a basic psychological need to have this like dichotomy of like black and white this is what physical therapists do this is what we don't do but i like how you were like yo like what we do is kind of gray too like and taking you know that's something i'm advocating for is like having conviction in the uncertainty embracing the gray and, you know, I think the one, the one term I keep coming back to is I just, I more so really like calling us rather than physical therapists. Like I like rehab coach or like, Absolutely. like we are, 
we are coaches because we, we are in an unreal position to influence positive behavior changes that are going to have great long-term outcomes, you know, whether we use some manual interventions or, or whatever within that, that's cool. But you know what we, we help coach people, man. That's, that's what we do. We guide, we don't, we don't fix, we guide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I said today that I was a rehab coach, right? My patient before we hopped on. So I said, you know, yep, I am a rehab coach, you know, like, yeah, I'm a PT, yeah, I do this way, I do whatever, but you know, I am a rehab coach that's going to, we have a plan. Like if that plan is not going the way we want it to, we'll back up from it. All right, let's go back to the drawing board. But we have data to kind of show these are the things that work primarily. But if they don't, we'll be able to shift to the left, shift to the right. I think about analytics. I think about shot blockers. I think about all kinds of stuff, man. Like getting back to just sports too. So I think yeah, that's a good way to approach it as well. Just say, I'm eclectic. You know, whatever we need to do, these are the things that normally work. But if we need to, you know, we'll, we'll look at other things as well. So oh man we could talk all day man i really oh my god we could talk all day but i'm gonna be respectful of your time man uh i know it took us a while to, have to get on this call but nonetheless it was uh definitely uh pretty cool so cool yeah dude thank thank you for um thank you for inviting me on and and i apologize but as you know life is kind of crazy but we made it work so i'm glad we were able to have a fun little conversation yeah, cool, man. So here, uh, obviously, we mentioned right before we hopped on the call that we wasn't going to talk about the Level Up Initiative, not because it's not one of the bad, the baddest programs out there, but we couldn't be talking for a while, too. So just give us a little bit, I mean, just a sneaky, little bit about that and why it's so important, um, and then, like, how can people kind of get involved with it? Yeah, man. So we kind of spoke to it before. I think one of the biggest things is new grads and students go out onto clinical and it, they're just so nervous. They're not comfortable on the spot. They're not comfortable communicating to clients. And, you know, Level Up Initiative is kind of a solution to that where, you know, what we do is we have some really incredible mentors and really incredible modules that take students and new grads through this, you know, transformational experience where we start with, you know, growth mindset, critical thinking, listening and communication, and, and just really getting students and new grads comfortable being uncomfortable and reflecting because that's the first step. Um, so the first cohorts, we're two and a half months in. We got a month and a half left. The feedback's been great. The, it's been such a fun experience. And we actually open up enrollment for January 1st, start date um, November 1st. And it's pretty cool because we already have 60 people that pre-registered last time that didn't get into the first cohort. So we already got 60 people signed up and we got 42 more spots left. So for those of you out there, this is a free mentorship because it is all about giving back to the students and the new grads so we can invest in them so we can make this profession fucking awesome. And uh, that's basically it, man. So if you go to the levelupinitiative.com, sign up for the mailing list and you'll get notified when enrollment opens. You can check out the website, check out the Instagram at, at the level up initiative and uh, learn more about it. But it's been a lot of fun and super excited to um, been able to be able to take this dream and turn it into a reality. Cause it's been a very um, surreal experience. Man, I can't appreciate another fact that you're doing that out there for young grad, uh, for, for, uh, for new grads, young clinicians, students as well. Ari told you before you hopped on, put me in the next cohort. I, I, will, I will physically take someone out 
if I'm not in the next <laughs> row. I will physically find them and say, no, you can no longer be in there. That's my slot now. <laughs> Dude, I, I got you, bro. I, I got you. Because I, I know that you had expressed interest back in the summer, too. So yeah, I, will, yeah. uh, I will definitely make sure that we get you in there. And, uh, yeah, it's, we, got some, we got some dope, dope, dope mentors that are going to be – we had eight this time. We're going to have 17 for, for January. And uh, just the caliber and the quality of people that we got mentoring and volunteering their time, like just absolute studs that um, – I wish I could have learned from when I was a new grad. So to be able to provide that is pretty dang cool. Man, and on top of that, you said a, a pretty word, free. But free, as always, doesn't necessarily mean that it's low-grade content. I, just from the feedback that I'm getting from the program, like, I am so jealous of the people that are going through the first class. Again, if I don't have a slot, Zach, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find somebody. I see, I'm I see you doing, like, 200-pound – freaking split jerks for fun man so <laughs> I, I no no doubt i know that you would do that but i i got you man it's it really it you know what man and just real quick on that like yep. i think it's i was really torn about whether i was going to monetize this from the jump or not but at the end of the day my why is this is about creating a movement that's going to drive change in our profession and i knew that a price tag any price tag would deter that mission mm -hmm. um so I'm thinking big picture and uh, the quality and the content is only things that I would put my, my hundred percent behind. So really proud of how it came out. And it's, it's more about just creating that movement and it's been awesome man. the community is just great. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I mean, again, the, the free thing is just a plus, but I mean, the, the most important thing is that when you're educating, you're getting the word out there, you're pushing and driving the profession forward. And I think that again, regardless of what your profession is, like if you can do that, especially like, you know, a fairly new grad, right? I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that you're, I mean, you're not 10 plus years, but still a fairly new grad, but you're yeah. like, like you're not looking so far ahead, but no, I have to be this great clinic owner. I have to do all this great stuff. Like you're saying, no, let me bring the people that's literally right behind me along with me on this journey yes, and sir. the most advantageous for them, especially early on too. Like, Man, I can't again commend you enough for that. Um, I watch all of your your content, man. I'm definitely following the Level Up Initiative, and and I'm already in the group. I mean, I already know I am. And you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You are cool, man. Cool, appreciate. It. So, thanks, man. Thanks, Dr. Zach, man, for hopping on here. Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening to another episode of the High Impact Health Podcast. Uh, stay healthy, stay moving, stay grooving, stay uh, increase your sports performance, all that fun stuff. I totally forgot my outro because Dr. Zach just got me hyped. <laughs> yo, that's all good. I like the off the dome impromptu outro anyway. Yeah, but, um, yo, it was a pleasure, man. You're, and I'm glad we were finally able to connect too because I've been wanting to for a while. Absolutely. All right, man. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the High Impact Health Podcast with your host, Dr. Diana Jones. It would mean the world to me if you were to hand over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and just leave me a review or a like or a follow or a subscribe, any of those things that help push the podcast forward. Share it out to a friend or two, right? All this will help me to not only be able to deliver the best content, but help get this knowledge out there more and more. And it allows me to do more of these podcasts, right? The more people we have listening, the more we can kind of spread it out there, too. So, again, uh, please like, follow, share um, the podcast, and I appreciate that in advance. Thank you.